You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm speaking to Byron Bowers, who I spoke to about, I mean, almost a week ago now as as I record this, when I was uh, having a very joyful time in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest, which remains the most excitingly bleeding edge tech, music, film and comedy festival, and a part of which I am very proud to occasionally be. That was a very English sentence, wasn't it? I've spent the week really, really um, uh, aware of my Englishness. An absolute joy to be somewhere where I'm different and exciting. <laughs> um, so today it's it's, uh, it's Mr. Byron Bowers. I've got episodes coming up with Eddie Pepitone and Dulce Sloan. Uh, those will be coming up either side of episode 400 with uh, Rob Deering returning 10 years on. Um, and as I record this, listen, we'll get stuck in properly in a second, but uh, I need to talk to you about the whole birthday plan thing because i'm recording this on friday the 18th you're hearing it at the earliest on sunday the 20th and saturday the 19th is the official 10-year birthday of this podcast but um i'm calling it the birthday month instead so that it will coincide with episode 400 which is going to go out in two weeks so that's reasonable isn't it hold on to your birthday wishes till then let's say that byron bowers is not only a brilliant actor you can see him in concrete cowboys on netflix which is absolutely brilliant um and honey boy on prime which is and i'm uh, Prime and Netflix if you're in the UK. I think those things change. Um, a Honey Boy is uh, is an absolutely fascinating film as well. And um, and Byron is, as we will talk about in this episode, uh, particularly in Concrete Cowboys, it's one of those shows where afterwards you... Re- it's one of those movies where afterwards you realise that a lot of the people in it are the real people from the thing. Um, and uh, we will talk about what it felt like to be acting uh, with... People who are the real people. So loads of stuff in here. But as well as that, he's an absolute murderer. I probably saw him gig four or five times uh, at the festival. And um, he's just one of those people who... You know when you watch someone and they're killing and you think... How on earth is the next act going to follow this? I mean, the lineup was so good. I saw twice. I saw people absolutely destroy, and Byron would be on next, and I'd be thinking, "Oh, he's going to have his work cut out for him," and he would just have us all in the palm of his hand. And as well, he's one of those. Um, I call him a, a visionary comedian in the show notes because he's one of those people who uh, is genuinely working it out on stage. And to to see him, it's funnily enough, after this episode, um, after we recorded it, Byron said, hey, could I give him a, a like, a, you know, a, an unedited copy of the recording? Because there is so much riffing on here where you can really feel him encountering an idea, chewing it over, being very, very funny with it. And well might he afterwards go, yeah, that's probably some gear in there. So uh, just an absolute privilege to spend some time with him. Um, so without further ado, no, there is further ado. This is 10 seconds of further ado. There are 25 minutes of extra content available to you from this episode uh, if you're in the insiders club uh, byron talks about doing old rope in london uh, he gets into how he avoids feeling like a victim of racism in hollywood that's in response to an audience question which is very good um, that's on the insider stuff and also uh, byron talks about his relationship to hope all of that great stuff comedianscomedian.com slash insiders you can support the show for just two pounds a month or as much as you'd like now finally no more further ado 
This is Byron Bowers, live at South By. What's up, man? That was good. It was good. I like that. Oh, this is very Caucasian oh, on yeah. my part. That turned, in, that turned into thumb war at the last minute. I can only apologize. I'm going to fall back on my British. Welcome to the there. States. Thank you. <laughs> Thank man, you. You call it britches. What's that? You call your pants britches. Britches. No, I said British. Oh, I thought you said britches. Okay. I'm not, I'm not that British. I'm not, like, I'm not like medievally British. Well, it's funny. That's what my grandmother would call pants. Is that right? Britches. She would call pants britches, britches, and then she would call the trunk a, a boot. Yeah, okay. That's kind of like, British. That's, I was like, that's weird because no, when I left, because I was born in a small town, moved to Atlanta, nobody else, they would call it a trunk. Yeah, they yeah. didn't say bun and a boot. They called it a, a hood and trunk. I was like, you know, and then they was like, oh, them European words. How your grandmother learned nice. that? Did she knit you a little jerkin as well to wear? I don't even. That's no, too much. Yeah, That's yeah, a reference yeah. too far, I can only. No, yeah. Well, no jerking going on. And, uh... <laughs> so welcome to the show and welcome to Austin. You've just flown in and have barely slept, as I understand it. Not at all. That's why I'm uh, drinking on this energy drink right now. The, I can't say the name because I'm not being paid for it. The, uh, the energy drinks I find at South by Southwest are increasingly incomprehensible. That's right. You had, have you had any of this? I haven't had that one. No, I don't think so. But I had something earlier on called, uh, I can say the name, they might throw me some money. Uh, I had something called Liquid Death earlier on, and it turned out to be water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's from Flint, uh, Michigan. <laughs> um, they found a way to make profit from it. I don't know where... <laughs> It's spiritual water. They turn a negative into a positive. And they still ain't got the water fixed yet. You know what I mean? Because it's Flint. They took the money and bought drugs with it. Ain't that some shit? <laughs> oh, I went too far? Okay. <laughs> so, Byron, I wasn't quite sure how to introduce you because you're uh, a stand-up comic, and but you're like a proper movie actor. Like, a pro- like I've watched two of your movies. I saw Concrete Cowboys. Yep. It's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, I saw Honey Boy. It's excellent. Thank Wonderful you. movie. Neither of them are funny movies. Like, you're, you're pretty funny. You're kind of funny, but like in a characterful, funny kind of way. Yeah. They're clearly decisions as to the sorts of movies you're in, whereby you're like, these are serious movies. I've actually got something to say and something to express. Well, it's failure. Yeah, I would, uh, I tried the stand-up, I mean, you know, the, con- you know, auditioning for comedies, and I just don't get them. I just don't get multi-cam. It ain't funny to me. My sense of humor dark. So, uh, of course, I would go to drama, right? Like, I tried to go to acting class, and they was like, name a comedy. And I was like, Handsmaid's Tale. And they was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, why Handsmaid's Tale funny? And I explained to this teacher why I thought Handsmaid's Tale was funny, and she laughed. But they was like, no, nah, that's a drama. And then they was like, they named a, a sitcom. And I was like, damn, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong genre. Okay. So that's what did it. Because I was like, if I think that these fucked up stories are funny, then I should be over here. Because I could, I could be funny over here, but I can't be funny over in, in comedy. Okay. Yeah, that's why. And is, there, is that reflected in your kind of position in the comedy world? Are you more than usually serious amongst comedians? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Like a lot of comics like to be in the back and joke and laugh and be like, like me, like me. And I don't give a fuck. I got school shooter mentality. 
But people say I'm arrogant, but it's not. I just, I guess, or they call it, some people call it big dick energy. I got school shooter energy. You know what I mean? I kill everybody in this motherfucker. And that's how my friends say I should do stand up, because I would be like, I kill everybody in this motherfucker. And they would laugh. And I'll be serious. So, you know, I got on stage. And is that. Is that like, I mean, it feels very honest. I think that's one of the things I admire most about your comedy is like there is genuine, like I think there's a thing in comedy whereby people go, the less you care about the gig, the funnier you are. Yeah. Like there's nothing worse than like a needy comedian. You're kind of the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, You're right. I remember, I remember being needy and I was at Just for Laughs and I watched everybody be needy and I broke and I was in Canada and I started talking about slavery. And everybody got tense, and my dick got hard. <laughs> well, my dick didn't get hard, but I got I like I got turned on because this is a very honest thing that I was coming from, and that kind of like was the beginning of me like finding my voice. Yeah. But finding your voice in life is a real hard journey because you're not listening to what the masses are saying. You are going on your own journey and discovering what you like in your own darkness. And I think if you can accept your own darkness, it's peace in that. And if you can find some peace in here, then you can find peace outside. Mushrooms. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to... <laughs> round of applause for mushrooms. Um, we will get to, we'll get to psychedelics. I know you're a bit of a psychonaut. We'll, uh, we might get to that in a bit. But in terms of that, uh, like, you must have been a comic for quite a while in order to end up at Montreal, right? Before you get invited to yes, Montreal. Yes. So, like, how long were you going for before you found, before you found your voice? Because that is, I, I think, of finding one's voice as a comedian to be, like, a lifelong pursuit, right? You're yeah. always trying to strip away more things, that, more hurdles between you and the audience. Yeah, I think year seven, year seven, I realized I was funny. And I was making people laugh before then. But the confidence that, oh, I'm a funny person happened at year seven. And I think maybe it took another seven years or like between five and seven years to really find out my voice or my strength and weaknesses. Okay. And, and, you know, in this art form, you know, so it is a journey. But, um, and I say this, I, I remember watching a football game at my friend's house and the football players were crying and they were holding hands. And the announcer was like, uh, these guys work hard to get here. They've been having this dream since they was eight. And in 16 years, now they like, you know, 26 and 27, and they finally made it here. And that's when I realized, like, oh, shit, I'm watching other people live their dream. And then, two, it takes time to develop. You know, even even the people that make it from to the league and from basketball, they've been playing for over 10 years. So it's seeing stuff like that and recognizing those patterns. Yeah. That made me like, and I ain't have shit. I, I slept in my car in California. It was nothing left. Like, I got the call to go to Montreal, New Faces, which is big for a comedian. And two hours later, my mom called and said, maybe I should quit stand up and go go back to college. So every for every, you know, up I had or down has balanced that out. Yeah. So who were you as a comic in that kind of pre-finding your voice time? Can you, can you still watch material that you did back then from the perspective of having found your voice now? Like, does, were you still kind of being tr- 
true to yourself? Was it still yeah. part of the journey to get to finding your voice? It was or was it like, was it kind of uh, contrived somehow? No, nah, you know, they say most comics emulate somebody, but I didn't because Martin was my favorite comedy. But the first joke I wrote was, I remember the first two jokes I wrote and I look at the material I do now and I was like, oh, it's the same. I just know how to, how to talk about it now. Okay. Yeah. What was what was the jokes? Can you tell us? My first joke was uh, um, I went to church today for the first time in a long time, and the audience was clap. And I was like, man, I remember like when I was young, you know, we go to church for different reasons. Because when I was young, I would go to church because my mom and my dad made me go to church. But now I'm older, I go to church for the hoes. <laughs> That is very you now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you in church, people clap, you like, damn, she thick. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, you know, and then my second joke was, I, I talked about, like, being, like, you ever get you ever get caught looking through somebody's window? And I was like, I got, locked, I got locked out the house, and I needed some help. So I went around to knock on the window to get some help. And the, and the uh, lady just got out of the shower, and she was drying off. And she had a towel, and she was she had nice ass and nice titties and nice thighs. And then she turned. She saw me through the window, and she was like, boy, what the fuck you doing? And I was like, mama, I'm locked out. I need you to go open the door so I can get out. So it's always, but it's always truth in both of those things. I'm just more honest about, about it now. So I became more, before I was more clever, and now it's just more blunt. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think how you wield that bluntness is really important because it's not blunt in the sense of just kind of crashing through. It's, it's blunt in the sense of, I think, and it's, it's not, I'm struggling to put my finger on it. It's not quite saying the unsayable. It's just kind of slowly speaking the truth in such a way that everyone recognizes it. Yeah. And a confident, you have to be confident to, you know, or not even confident, but just I don't know what it takes for you to even be that. That I think because it's all the trauma. After a while, you cannot hold it in. It's gonna find its way out. Yeah, and that's what it started to do. Yeah, you know. Now I know you had a, a traumatic upbringing, and I know you. Uh, I've seen your. Uh, this is not happening. Your story about yeah. your father, who was uh, schizophrenic, and as well as a drug user, and how much of that kind of forged the type of comedy that you do obviously experiences like that forge you as a person yeah how much of that inform the type of comedy that you do or what attracts it, you all, to it all do and and to be honest it's more traumatic it's more traumatic experiences out there mm -hmm. right i mean it's people going through some crazy crazy shit and i think in a spiritual way the juxtaposition of that it was bringing the comedy because if you go to the hood and everybody's poor, but on Friday they laughing and dancing, mm -hmm. right? Or they play they they playing dice or playing cards. And I remember sitting there watching people do shit every week, and I was like, I can't live like this. But they having a good time. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was bad, and that shapes my sense of humor, right? Because it's the same thing is happening like now, even with the you know situation that's going on overseas, and you know, you know, you still like smoking weed and like going through the walking through the woods naked or whatever the fuck. It's something funny to me about about that, you know, about the response to just like the juxtaposition life. of life, you know. Yeah, the be in a dark moment and find your truth is like, it's just to me, my most suicidal moment was when I found my sense of humor. Is that right? Yeah, because I was like, man, I want to kill myself, and God was like, do it. 
you know, I'm going to jump out that window, do it. You ain't going to die. Then you're going to be in a wheelchair, fucked up at the club, telling niggas how you jumped out the first story window. <laughs> that was the first, and it, it ain't a, this ain't no bit, but that's the, that's the thought. I should have turned into a bit now that I said it. But, <laughs> but that's the way, those were the words to me, the conversation I had with God. And I was like, damn, I can't jump out a window. And then you like, well, maybe I should shoot, my, shoot myself. Oh, you got a gun? You need money to get a gun. Damn, you got to rob a place to get a gun just to shoot yourself. Like, just figuring those things out. And then you have a conversation with somebody, like, how hard it is sometimes to be poor and kill yourself. You still run into that. That's the funny part. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can't even take pills. You got you to gotta be in a certain class to even kill yourself properly. <laughs> It's fucked up, you know what I mean? <laughs> but in a funny way, you know. Yeah, and it's, what it strikes me as well is that, like, talking about trauma on stage, I'm sure, can be very therapeutic. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure there is an element of loads of different comedians at all different levels whereby effectively expressing your unhappiness, expressing your pain, expressing your loneliness, whatever those things are, can have a therapeutic value to kind of share it. Yeah. But it seems there's, there's more to it than that as well because it's actually, it's something that's, well, do you do you think there's more to it than than simply the the therapeutic nature of, of I, expressing it? I, at first, yeah, I'm more of a selfish performer in that way. Like, well, I don't give a fuck if you laugh or not, because I know it's somebody in here that feels I understand that now. Especially from doing my this is not happening, because my this is not happening came from a point where I reached another ceiling in stand up, where I couldn't go no further. Because people want the Kevin Hart's of the world, they want a relatable family comedy, yeah. and I didn't have those things. And I had to accept that. And I was like, well, since I don't have those things, fuck it. Let me, let me tell you why, you know, uh, I'm quote unquote fucked up or don't have those things. And then that's when people start writing me. Yeah. Okay. Like, yo, I, I had that shit too. Or like, my, this is not happening. One guy told me he watched it. He was on heroin and he had kids and he stopped that, that night. Holy shit. Yeah. So that had to be crazy because I'm just imagining him like, just like, I, I my shit was so powerful that he couldn't even nod off <laughs> from the heroin. That's some dope shit. Do you think <laughs> that I had a great I had a great follow up question, but that image that nigga was just that shit thrown like me. This. <laughs> I suppose what I'm getting at is... Okay, I'm, I missed there. I went and took a left turn. Go no, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm trying to, go, I'm trying to get back to the, the, the follow-up question. Okay. What I wanted to ask was, I know that you said in, a, in another interview that you had difficulty fitting in as a kid, and you still do. So yeah. I'm interested in how that becomes maybe one of the superpowers of your comedy, because it enables you not to care. Because, I mean, like, are you satisfied not fitting in? Or do you look at other people who seem to fit in better than you and think, you know, you covet that? Um, it's, it's, another, it's another balance because um, it comes with its own struggles, right? Like, relationship-wise. Like, I was married before, and whatever I didn't have affected that. Because you're dealing with a person who says that I'm not normal in a relationship, but then I realize my normal in a relationship, like if my ex grew up and her father showed that he loved 
the family by going to work every day, coming home, paying the bills. And I grew up with a mother who did that, then it's going to cause friction because, uh, lady, you supposed to go out and do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Subconsciously, yeah. that's what it was. Okay. okay. So not knowing, and you always discovering these things, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's, 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 like I said, it's a balance because it's things that you don't know you don't know. You know, and that's the difficult part. But the beauty of it is you get to discover those things. Um, because before when I was young and I meet people that come from middle class and upper middle class family, I would be mad. I'd be upset. But now as an adult and I meet these guys whose mothers were CEOs and they look just like me. So I see the unfairness in it. But we're both sitting here now and I was like, man, you don't even know what it's like to come from here up. Yeah. That's the story. Yeah. That's the story your father, your father have. And I, now I'm like, oh, that's the blessing. That's, see, that's an incredibly, I mean, I don't know what, like a mature, a positive, that's like a really wise way of looking at it, of like recognizing the value of almost like the opportunity to have that journey, even though you weren't necessarily given the same things or the same role models or the same love, maybe. But I realize we all have a thing. And when we look at others and try to be like them, we're negating the thing that we came here with. So this is Byron. Loads more great stuff coming up, particularly with regard to his acting work. And uh, it's clear that he's he's a very esoteric kind of a person. He's really interested in everything and really gets right into the ideas of everything. And, you know, if you haven't seen him live, check out some of his stuff online. If you get the chance to see him live, you will recognise that he is one of those people who takes these huge ideas and then just drops them into incredibly accessible and really, really live comedy. You know, you're watching someone and you're like, whoa, we're all going through it together right now. So a joy, a joy. You can catch up with Byron at Byron Bowers on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, he's got a new special which is coming out soon. It's in the edit. Um, so keep in touch and I'll let you know when uh, when I notice that's gone out. Um, or let me know if you notice it go out and I'll tell everyone else. Um, and you can also go to ByronBowersLive.com to find out more about him. Go to ComediansComedian.com slash insiders to get hold of 25 minutes of extras from this episode as well as all the extras from everything that's got them which as I'm fond of saying recently is literally hundreds of hours now um, so that's worth checking out um, remember you can go to comedianscomedian.com to find out more about this or stuartgoldsmith.com to see all of the sorts of things that I'm up to and on either of those sites you can join the mailing list which will get you the uh, Zoom Q&A that we did with James Acaster last year as a little um, I was going to say as a little sign up treat but let's face it it's a lead magnet I've been at South Pie. I'm completely on top of all the terminology. Um, more chat and a post amble coming at you soon. Uh, a reminder to go to, uh, if you're on Twitter, go to at ComComPod and I will pin the tweet that releases this episode. So if you're enjoying it, um, you can retweet that and uh, maybe quote tweet it and tell people what it means to you. We should have been doing that for the last 10 years, shouldn't we? Let's start doing it now. So now let's get back to Byron Bowers. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But to me, we all have bigger issues and things in common, which is trauma. We got shit we don't talk about. And my stuff really comes from those thoughts that when your head hit the pillow at night and the mm-hmm. lights are off, I live in that realm. Because that's the realest moment. You know what I mean? That's when the anxiety comes from, the fear. You hear a noise and you like, shit, I ain't getting out of the bed. It's too goddamn cold. They're going to have to kill me. Or whatever you say, you know. Um, so. so, like, do you actively mine that kind of no, stuff? No, because I, I write on stage. Okay. So even in this time, I came up with some brilliant shit. I'm like, man, I wish I could, you know, I had the guy in there listen to the podcast and go back and write this oh, shit down. Oh, shit. Well, yeah, fortunately, we are recording it, so that's... Uh... Yeah, so, I mean, but um, I, 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 let it, I let it flow through me. Because when I would write jokes and have all the tags and yeah. memorize and stuff, and something happened, and I would go off script and be funnier than, I, than the written stuff, then I would have to go back, and then the audience would lose it. And I learned then I'm building an honest connection with somebody and then I'm breaking it. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. So you get, you've got the written stuff. That's a platform to then start really connecting. And as you break the spell as soon as you go back to the written stuff. Yeah, so, so you have to be out on a limb. Oh, and when you stay see people look at their phone, they do something, they look, and then they go look at their phone, they're breaking the connection. Just like yeah. a conversation. And the, I think the people who do TikTok jokes or anything that's in the news, is really like want to force themselves to relate to some people sometimes. Yeah. Because like, oh, this is hot right now. Let me talk about this. So then the maybe the industry would see me and then they would give me this. But I'm past that. I've been put on the shelf and ignored already. So once I gave all that up and was like, I don't want to be like, fuck Hollywood, some fuck Hollywood shit. Like I plan my life, how I want my life to look and the things I want, true wealth, like to have kids and do these things. That's when Hollywood was like, yo, where are you going? We got this yeah. thing. We got this thing for you. That's archetypal in itself. You freed yourself from desire and then, yeah. then the office came. It was out. like leaving the church again. But the power in that, you could say no to a bunch of shit. Yeah. Because now you don't care. Like, oh, this person want to put you on TV to do a set. No, I don't want to do that shit. I want my own show. You know? So. Have you had. Wh- Should I get my own podcast? <laughs> yeah, I should. <laughs> What, Three people. What kind of uh, 
what are those let's talk a bit about those those negative experiences let's talk about those that that feeling of being put on the shelf like most comedians i have on this show at some point will say that they feel like the invisible man of comedy or the invisible woman of comedy it's the thing the same thing as when your uh parent uh, pick a drug over you or a woman over you or a man over you so you oh, throughout life you develop this thing of like me or somebody or somebody gonna give me a chance. Somebody gonna pay attention to me, and you know agents are quick to tell you they love you. Yeah. And then they'll be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I can't work with you no more." It's like it's the same shit. So it's it's catching that pattern and realizing it, and then being on some like you know whether you angry or not, be like, "Man, fuck all this shit. I'm gone." You know, whatever you gotta do, meditation or or therapy or whatever you gotta do to realize your power and your worth which is the journey you look at life overall this is just your career stuff is one thing but you got your mentals you got your spiritual you got your physical health and, and your spirituality right and if everything is centered on here in this fall you got nothing but if you got all this thing in the balance of the circle like i said if the career go bad you still got other stuff to keep you afloat until you get this up now that's how wealthy people do their portfolios that's a great. That's a great analogy. Because I'm learning wealth that's now. That's a brilliant. So everything spiritually moves like that. You know what I mean? Uh, sectors uh, shift. Like oil. What about investing in oil years ago? Except rich people because they knew this shit was coming. Now everybody want oil, and the oil went up, and they just sell it to everybody. So it's like that in life. You got to have a balance because the downs are coming. The downs are coming. So we have to prepare ourselves and have. Good relationship. Like I'm in a healthy relationship now, so I could fail. I could fail because I always I can go home and somebody still love me, and I realize like, damn, people grow up with this. Yeah, that's crazy. That's true wealth. Yeah, all that other shit on. So that's what makes you become more free with certain things. And it builds your confidence to go, you swing, I swing harder now, you know? Yeah, so. that's, a great, that's a great analogy, like having the portfolio, you've kind of diversified your roots. You've diversified like the roots of the tree, all of the things that, that help you and prop you up and support you. Yeah. Because you do see people in comedy who are like, they've only got comedy. And when it goes bad, and being in LA, you see these things, you see people shoot up and you look in their eyes and it's, they sold on and you have to really like evaluate yourself i like free time my time is the most valuable thing i got the more success i get it takes away from my time you know what i mean and even though i make a little bit more money my time is gone and money can't buy time back so you learn like no i want to turn this down and i just want to stare at my wall today <laughs> And have these thoughts because the world take is trying to take that from us. You know, these things come from having time and like having nothing and then having and watching stuff and how things operate. That way you move up in a different way because you're moving up spiritually and you're moving forward at the same time. So it seems like you go from nothing to here, but the work has been done. You just want to be prepared and aware for when your blessing or whatever you call it come that you recognize it. Because a lot of times we don't recognize it. You, you talked about kind of losing your relationship with God or kind of giving up your relationship with God. With the church. With the church. But being angry at God. Yeah, I definitely was angry at 
God and wrote them off for a while. But if I didn't do that, I wouldn't know self-help books. You know what I mean? I wouldn't know spirituality. And it made our connection even closer. And what is what is spirituality to you? To me, what does it's, that mean to you? It's, it's such a vague, it's such a vague thing. But when I think of spirituality, I think of your personal connection to the true creator or to nature or to all these other things and how it all resonates and where you fit in that. And it's not as cliche as we make it where it's like, oh, this, it's all beautiful. No, because nature, you know, nature is a beast. And you are a beast. We got dark side in us. You see that motherfucker go on a rampage and shoot up the thing. But I never knew Clark had it in him. But we all got it in us. We one nigga hitting the brakes in front of us away from like, fuck everything, you know. Mm. That road rage, you know what I mean? So once you accept you have it in you, then it's like, how do I control it? And when to bring it out, you know. Some people get, I was telling my homeboy, you, you meet a guy. And ladies know, when they meet a guy who in touch with their feminine side, the love making is crazy. The love making is crazy because they able to be free and let loose. They don't give a fuck about sucking no toes and no shit like that. They don't think about the dirt and all that shit. But niggas like me, we still think about it. Damn, why don't I have fucking fingers bend and all that shit? And then I was like, you got the last three pumps is when you really be free before you bust a nut. You know what I mean? All the other time, you like, motherfucker, you, get, you fucking from a crazy place. And then the last three pumps, you like, oh, lick my nipples. And you like, oh. <laughs> And they like, what the fuck you say? Because it came out of nowhere versus being there free the whole time. But when you see a woman who's sexually free and she hit those and she builds to that, that clock, it gets, you're like, oh, this is what real freedom, this is real freedom right here. To, to talk then about, about a woman, when she get into the groove so much, her voice get deep. She's like, oh, 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 shit. I'm going to turn this motherfucker into a dude. To talk about, about artistic freedom, you talk about writing on stage and presumably in order to, like, that's kind of the, the holy grail of comedy, I think. A, a, lot of, a lot of newer comics will hear you saying, oh, I do most of my writing on stage or hear other comics say that and think, how do I get there? How do I get to that point? Is it about becoming in a state of kind of freedom on stage such that you can just kind of improvise? Are you walking on with like an idea in your head? Can you be as free on stage doing stand-up as you are right now, where there's no pressure to be funny, we're just having a conversation, and so you can find a thing and follow it. Like, what's the relationship between those different states? It's like how it is now. Like, you hear the fans, and I'm looking down. I do those when I'm on stage. Like, I did a special, and they want to edit that out. And I'm like, you can't edit that out for me, because this is, I'll sound like I'm just ranting, you know? But the shit I say, people, we have to breathe, we have to live in it. It's such a present thing. And like I said, I look at the macro now. So the stage isn't my, my you know, overall goal no more. It's, 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 it's like bigger than that. So for me to be free here, I have to be free in other places. And I continue to be free and, and learn how to be more free and more emotional, you know, with my family and those things um because i did it with the strangers for so long mm-hmm. 
and the strangers now going to help me deal with these other things. You know what I mean? Like I said, like the thing with spirituality, it just it, it just flows. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no rhyme or reason to it. So you have to be, get to a free place in life. Is that just something I'm clear on what you and mean? And that's that getting stripped from people every day. Are you are you suggesting, just so I'm clear on what you mean, are you alluding to the fact that the freedom you feel on stage is something that you aspire to feel in your life? You want to be as comfortable off like off stage in relationships and stuff? No, you you, is that what you mean? I'm no, you become comfortable here first. This is the expression of this. This helped me. If I was at a dinner table in France and I was talking about, um, I think, abortion or some shit. But I was at a table full of women, and they was, like, scoffing and shit. And I was like, oh, I got to do this here to a place where I'm free to express myself. Because at this moment, at the table, uh, while y'all eating uh, caviar, y'all don't want to talk about abortion. But it's, it's, it's from a different spot than, uh, than women who had miscarriages. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I haven't had one. Mm-hmm. So they was like, it's, you're selfish or you're... You don't even know what it's like to experience this. And I was like, you're right. So versus be, you know, be ashamed of and like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it's like to have it. And that's why I could talk like this, you know, Um, and being free enough to say that. So you have to be free there in order to be free here. And the way you get free here is to be at a spot where you feel nobody can take nothing away from you. Like, nobody can take my career away from me like that because it's not the main thing no more. The main thing I want is the next journey, and I don't have it yet. So that's what I'm running for. That makes sense? Yeah. 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 Like, it does, like, it's kind of how you are on stage is that, like, you don't, you're not wrapped up in caring about the, the thing so much. The goal isn't to be on stage being hilarious. The goal is to be kind of free and in the universe and creative. And understood. Like, yeah. this is what I think is, this is what I think is funny. I'm trying to communicate what I think is funny about the situation. Not what you think is funny about the situation. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not, you not going to think this shit funny. <laughs> shit I said up here tonight, y'all don't think it's funny. You never had it in a conversation before. I made you laugh at it. And you didn't want to laugh at it. But I brought it out of you. I was watching some of your, uh, like some work of yours, some stand-up from years and years ago from something, it was like in the Ice House, I think. It was like a competition from a long, long time ago. Oh, that that was, I YouTube. feel sorry for those people, yeah. Yeah, that was good. I won that by mathematics. Go on. Because <laughs> it was a bringer show. In Cali, they would do these competitions. <laughs> and they had no job, and people work jobs, and they do comedy at night. But if you do this, you can win $100 or $300. Uh, but the thing is to do the competition is based on a voting system. And for you to get the most votes, you have to do what? Bring all your friends to support you. So these people would bring all their friends to support them. I didn't have no friends. So the more, if you, if your friends voted number one for you, you got five points. And then they'd be like, who the second favorite comic? They got three. So... If your friends vote for you and your friends vote for you and your friends vote for you, but I get everybody else to vote for me second, <laughs> I win the whole thing. 
Yeah, you ri- what, what you're effectively saying is you rigged the competition by being really funny. I didn't rig. I just knew the numbers going in, and that's what the 1% do. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you get my point. Like, it was an incredibly funny set. And oh, the won, set and was you funny, won, but I had to be. because you were really funny. Yeah, so but I had to be, yeah. Yeah. Because I had to be, you yeah. didn't have the advantages of everyone no. bringing their buddies, so you had to make sure you were funnier than they were so you could pick up all the... Yeah, but it's a saying in the black community, especially in the South, for you to compete with white people, you have to be the best by a large margin. You can't be close to them or they're going to get it. And I take that. I took that with me to those type of shows. And I use the same thing now. Like, if they edit my specials and make me sound like every comedian, I lose. Yeah. But if they give me my own lane, I win. And each one of us got our own lane. But we we busy trying to fit in and do makeup on tutorials to look like that motherfucker versus just wearing your fucking mold on your face and making that motherfucker beautiful than the motherfucker. <laughs> or wear your titties out. Nobody notice your mold if you got your titties out. <laughs> it's just little tweaks in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> what? If you dumb and you got a big dick, put on tight shorts and look stupid. <laughs> I bet your woman come up to you. You lost. You need some help. <laughs> for someone, for someone who does kind of walk their own uh, path in comedy to the extent that you do, and you're saying before about like not even watching other comedy because you're just working. That's that kind of like Joey Ramone thing of just like not listening to any other guitar music. Famously, you know. Yeah. So what? What has inspired you along the way? What, what other kind of... Have you seen... Have you happened upon comedy at other shows and stuff and seen people and gone, actually, I can, I can learn from that? Or is the fact that someone else is doing it means you have to... Neil Brennan, Neil Brennan put a post of an earthquake who's from Atlanta, the city where I started. And I watched his special. And it reminded me of why I got into comedy. Because it's, it's, I'm not trying to prove a point. I ain't talking about whatever hot in society right now. I'm talking about my life and, it's, and my, my issues, and it's just gut-punching funny. And it's like eight tags for every joke, and every sentence hit. And I was like, I remember that when yeah. I started. Like, once you deliver the punch, you set up, you hit a hard punch, then every sentence after that, boom, you just keep hitting them, boom, boom. And that kind of like... Inspired me, and I'm laughing, and like a tear come out my eyes for the first time in like a long time. And I was like, wow, you know. So that's one of the last things that inspired me as far as like stand up, you know what I mean? But I think a lot of stuff inspired me off stage. My grandmother, my, my mother, my girlfriend, like I got a lot of realizing how I have these women in my life with all these sense of humor and stuff that, uh, Strong, strong, you know. And my lady, she's not, my lady's Askenazi, you know what I mean? And they, she even coming from a strong place. And how weak I am, because the traits I have. Um, so before it was all cockiness and all this, but like, no, nah, I'm, I'm propped up by like four or five of these great females, mm-hmm. you know, who ushered me along the way and just thinking about these small people. So I'm inspired by that, you know what I mean? And one day to be able to, like, how I'm going to be a conduit for for people. What are the different, those three key women in your life, what are the different qualities 
that they have that inspire you particularly? Like, to, to which one of them would you go for what kind of inspiration? My mom is still faith in me because she's an uneducated mother of two at 19 who lost her kids for a while and got them back. And as much as we beef with one another for her lack of, uh, you know, the things she lacked, I do have to say that's an example of, you know, a law of, you know, the laws of success or a law of attraction or, or just somebody who had faith to raise two kids that never been to jail or, you know, my sister been with a company for 15 years. She's a housewife. And, you know, I'm out here like jobless for like 16 years and she was like you know what god told me you're gonna be okay and anytime i get in the thing and i logically try to explain it to her she's like it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. you know what i mean so that's one my grandmother very very uh sarcastic which is rare because you know most black comedy isn't sarcasm based on sarcasm but she's very you know in the church and it's very sarcastic herself and then my girl is an immigrant which is like part of it feel like it's on some hood shit, but it's exposing like America the shit I was taught here. Mm. Like the doors say exit. I mean the doors say emergency exit. We can't go out the door. And she like, yeah, we can go out the door. And she just leaves. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit! I thought alarm was gonna go off and the cops were gonna show up. <laughs> and she's telling me like, no, nah, y'all, you know, it's a police state over here. You know, and she's from a place where bombs explode. Yeah. You know what I mean? The Middle East. So no matter how hood, you know, we think we are over here, we never carry gas. None of us got bomb shelters in our house and carry gas masks to school and still generous enough to give people on the street money. Yeah. We all like, oh, shit, we need, all, we need like, you know, get the fuck out of here. It took me eight years to get this dollar. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and so loving. Somebody with so much heart that she easily gets over stuff and become fluid versus I, I hold on to it and be petty. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still petty about slavery and that happened 400 years ago and I wasn't even there. <laughs> like, something happened. Somebody said something to me today and they didn't, they didn't mean it that way and I was like, oh, I thought you was talking about that shit. And they was like, oh, no. Nah. And I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> so... I say that's why, like, every, and, the, and see what women put up with, birthing kids and going through periods, you know what I mean? Like, I had a situation where I had a miscarriage, and my lady still worked, like, 10 hours. And I, I seen that shit, and I was like, damn, ain't no way I could do that shit. And I had to listen to it, and I couldn't even do it. I got undercover and shit like a little mm. bitch. And I was like, man, that's some strength. And... You know, that was also stripped away from that from that gender. Really how strong the strength that they have. So it's it's interesting. So those are the things that those are my like main goals right there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and then everything else is a byproduct of that. Having kind of like in the manner you're talking about earlier on, you having freed yourself from desire, decided to do your own thing regardless of the No, I still got desire. I still lust. You know what I mean? I'm not free from that. (laughs) Career-wise. Then you started booking these incredible movies. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw uh, Concrete Cowboy. Yeah. And uh, 
I only realised afterwards it's, it has reminiscent of like Nomadland. It's a movie you watch and then at the end you go, oh, holy shit, a lot of these people aren't actors. They're the actual people. Yeah. They're the Fletcher Street stable people. Cowboys, you know? yeah. Actual cowboys. So how was that as an actor to realise that you have to act the role next to someone who is living the role? Well, I really don't, don't consider myself an actor, which is a problem because I limit myself mentally, I realise. But I always consider myself a, a comic, which seems more free. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Going yeah. to this place. So when I went in and they was walking me over, the, 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 the cowboys were already sitting there. And they in the hood in Philly, you know, uh, and that's their hood. And then they bring somebody else in to represent them. Yeah. And I know what that, that nobody, no hood person like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't care where you are. You're not going to dress up like a uh, Orthodox Jewish person and then go to their neighborhood. Sure. And be like, what a holler at. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but I remember sitting down and the, somebody was like, look at this shit. They bringing these Hollywood motherfuckers over here to play us. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing they said as I was sitting there and they micing me up. And then I was like, yeah, they had to bring a Hollywood motherfucker in to play y'all because y'all can't ride horses worth shit. <laughs> and then everybody started laughing. Yeah. And then we shook hands and it was just on from there. But, you know, they talk, they hood, so they talk amongst each other so loud. They didn't even know the cameras was on. So I'm doing scripted lines and then they talking. That's why I seem like I'm yelling the whole film. <laughs> and then they still talking and then I do the scripted lines again. Yeah. And they still talking, and then I do it again, and they like, hey, motherfucker, you just, why you keep saying the same shit? <laughs> and I'm like, cuz we rolling right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> and they was like, oh, oh, so they put me there to capture those, they knew I was fluid enough to work around yeah. uh, the Cowboys' energy and shit. Had you done any work like that before? Life. <laughs> Life. You know, embarrassing being son of an addict and, and uh, schizophrenic. So I remember telling people, and people thought I grew up with money. Because it's just a lot of shit I didn't know or care about. So they consider that arrogant. So I, I would tell people shit. They'd be like, like I told a dude the other day. He was like, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, trust fund. <laughs> he was like, oh, I was like, yeah, you never met a black trust fund baby before. He's like, nah. And I was like, my father in bells of money. And you know what I mean? But he paid his debt to society. <laughs> but he kept enough to the side that I can get it when he died. And so now I just live off that shit. Man, life good, ain't it? You know? <laughs> but it's just doing that and I always done that. I told a dude I was a real estate agent and I convinced him to buy some property from me. And when he asked for a business card, I was like, I don't have a business card. I'm on TikTok. He was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so my style really comes from just moving around and being thrown in situations and then just going with it. Yeah. Until I'm ready to like be like, yo, yeah, this is this is what it is. So uh, that's where it really comes from. And then when I'm acting, I'm kind of l- loose and doing the same thing. Is that because my memory? I can't learn lines worth shit because I'm used to learning my own lines. Yeah. So it just puts you in a spot like, oh shit, we just going with it. Do you do you manage to retain that same quality of like of not caring? Like we're talking about in stand up, you don't, don't care. You know, we've got to come to you. Are you able to? Is, is you able to, and is it useful to retain a kind of parallel quality to that when you're acting? Acting is easy because what's, what's dope about, about acting, and I don't think people get it, is like you're really having a conversation with somebody. 
right? Yeah. yeah. And you're not doing nothing too crazy or nothing like that. We just sitting here and we having a conversation. All right? And I know you you understand that because you totally engaged in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But it's a whole crew of audience and stuff over here that I'm not even paying attention to because mm-hmm. I'm engaged with you right now. Yeah. And to me, that's just how I just, I kind of just do it that way. That's it. That's how I kind of do it. So it's not, so some of the pressure is gone a little bit. You still have the nervousness and stuff, but as a comic, your nerves just make you better. It it, it makes your, it's like tuning a car. When you're nervous, your timing uh, yeah. gets better. You know, it gets sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but, so it's a similar, like it's a similar kind of, um, sensory kind of process like a sensual process you're on stage there's the audience and you're kind of connected to them and you're listening to those connections and kind of leading and following yeah. and you're transplanting that into acting roles well i ain't even transplanting now it's just like i said it's me and you like when i turned away from the audience it's not them no more it's me and you at a coffee shop yeah you know what i mean and visually i can see the coffee shop i can see the waiter go by you know what i mean you know i can see you know she got on a brown belt black shirt black pants i don't even know why she did it made that choice uh, and those things, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's the same as I would build something on stage, right? Except I'm not engaged when I engage the audience because I do engage the audience because I don't write jokes. Yeah. So people who don't, people who write jokes don't have to engage the audience. They can look up and tell the joke. But I engage the audience because it's the connection I'm looking for with everybody. So I just do the same thing like over here. And is is that? Like, is that a realization you came to yourself? Did you do any acting classes or did you just No, it just of... come from the, the crab and skin and realizing what work, what I need. Because if I don't get the story, mo- the, the stuff that I read, I can see it. Like I said, I can see the girl mm-hmm. walking by with the coffee and stuff. I can see it while I read it. And usually, visually, it's how it is when I'm on set. But anytime it hasn't done like that, it hasn't went well. Yeah. Or I can't, you know, that's why I, can't, I say I can't do comedies because when I read, I'm like, this don't make sense. You know, if this happens, somebody should, should die or somebody should be murdered or somebody should be angry. But then somebody told me men can't be, get angry in sitcoms. They can get frustrated and not, not allowed to get angry and scream yeah, at yeah, their woman. Okay. So yeah. it's these hidden things I just don't know and it just don't make, make sense to me, you know? Yeah. But like I said, I use this and I just, I just do the same thing I really do. Would you have would you have found sitcom acting or comedy movie acting as satisfying? Do you think it would have fed that thing? I mean, you're making people laugh. Sure, that doesn't seem like it's your biggest concern. No matter how funny you are, that's it doesn't the problem. Feel like- that's the problem because I, I I know if I had like the sitcom money, I could have I could have three Porsches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I just it's the curse. It's the curse. It really is that. I mean, that's how you. That strikes me that you wouldn't consider it a curse. That strikes me as unusual, given what we've learned about you and how you see the world, how you see your place in it. Well, it's a positive would- and negative of everything. But like I said before, this is the positive, but also the negative because it pigeonholes me. So yeah. I have to use. I have to strengthen the pigeon. The, the pigeonhole. You know, some people are like man, you work on your weaknesses, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm working on my. I'm strengthening up my strengths. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I play basketball, you them left-handed. They'd be like, work on your right hand so you could be double. But now it's like, no, I'm going to just be the best left-hand person. Yeah. You know, so well, the best that I can be with my ability. And then once I get to a position, I can work on my right hand. 
Yeah. But my left hand gonna get me known. You know. Yeah. That's really smart. That's and it's, it's comedy is like boxing. When they describe boxers, they always be like, that motherfucker's long for his left hook. They don't be like, he's long for hooking him with both hands and shit like that. No, they always talk about the strength and the weakness. So that's why I say it's the gift and the curse. Because mm-hmm. if I, a lot of, a, a lot of movies and shit are bullshit. So because I'm not that technical, I can't get the bullshit. But at the same time, I get to work with Steven Soderbergh and these directors with coke followers. So I'm in these, that's the films I do. And they give me the freedom while I'm there. Yeah. When I was in Paris and I shot with Oliveira, he was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, 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 because he's French. He's like, dude, dude, just have fun with it. Do what you want. And I was like, what? And every take was different. You know what I mean? So somebody says something to me, you can't do that. And I'd be like, you can't do that. Is that French? You know, I, so I said that one time doing a take. <laughs> but then all the French cast people on the side, like, what the fuck? And then the director love it. Because it's funny to him to have an American do that shit, you know? Because I'm making fun of myself and how arrogant and stuff we are coming to other countries. Because I understand from going to other countries how Americans are. I understand what we are. So when I go to countries, I, I play it up. I don't turn it down. And they be like, you want to learn French while you here? I'm like, fuck no. What the fuck want to learn French for? <laughs> All the goddamn guns over in America. <laughs> And when we take this over, we're going to put a Zara right here. We're going to put a McDonald's right there. Walmart going to be all over that motherfucker. <laughs> I become that person because I know, like, I become every part of America. From a, from a Barack to a Trump, I'm all them niggas. In the, USA. I chant that shit. <laughs> USA. USA. In, the, in the world of movies, when you're, like, getting cast in movies and stuff, when there's so much on the line, like, whether you, if, you, if you get this movie... That's like another, you know, I mean, it yeah. might be a huge success. It's a huge amount at stake. Yeah. Are you still the same kind of like, oh, if I get it, I get it. Okay, fine. Every, that, are you still able to retain that? Or do you find like, did you find the neediness? Is there any kind of like, I really want this really bad? And it well, yeah, because you, you want to flip. You're the product. Like, I know business now. To me, the, we are the product, believe it or not. You know, that's why we have to go out. Like, this is the product. That's why it's sitting here. This is us. This shit right here is us. That's you. That's me right now. Right? So when I, when I have to do this, I go through everything you do, like when you would craft a joke. The low self-esteem. Like, oh, shit, this shit tomorrow. I don't know the script. Damn, I'm finna fuck this up. Damn, I'm finna get kicked out of the game. Well, this is it. I made it this far. You know what I mean? Shit, I got to go to work. What I'm gonna do if I don't do this? Nothing. Well, you might as well go out with a bang and then you learn it and you show up the next day. So you go through the, but I learned like, oh, this is my pattern for, for shit. Yeah. Now, you know what I mean? Yeah. The self-destruction, you know, the self-sabotage and you know, it's the artist's journey and then you shoot out of it and then you do it and you don't even know if it's good unlike stand up. And then as people see it and then like, I was, I remember Kimmy came out and I was, I fell asleep watching. <laughs> And I was like, it's over. It's over. And then Rod Tomato was like, 94. And I was like, we back, baby. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, man, I don't know. I think I'll look back at it and be, and be like, wow. But when you're in it, it's good to be in it while you're in it. What, it, what does it feel like to know that you've got, like, movies, like critically acclaimed movies in which you did work your 
happy with, presumably, and they're just there forever. I've never been in a movie. What is that when the first one comes out and you go like, that's there, I'm great in that, and it's there forever? I don't know. That's something my lady tell me about how how I could take this thing to a whole nother level, but my energy and wants are so scattered. Yeah. So that my highest goal, this is just a part of my highest goal. So if I can win an award, but if I don't reach this thing, then it's then it's for nothing. You know what I mean? So like if I want to have a kid and I lose a kid, none of that other stuff matters. You know what I mean? Because this is a reason why I'm still doing some of these things. Because a lot of this stuff I don't need. I could be on 6th Street breakdance like the rest of them niggas. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, that, you know, it's, it's, it's those reasons, you know? So I don't, I don't look at it like that. My thing, I got my name on the comedy show wall. And when I see that, I'm like, damn. That's the thing. Get my name on a comedy club wall is me being solidified in history. In the world, world famous comedy store. Yeah. You know, that's the one. That's, and I saw it last night and I was like, oh shit. That, and that's more meaningful to you than having a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that time, comedy saved my life. And when I was a teenager, and seeing those things happen and how I felt from that. And then, but, and then something telling me, and I wasn't even funny when I started. And I was getting booed for six months. And people were like, you should quit or you should be a writer. Or, damn, you got a de- you're the first person in the family with a degree. What the fuck you doing? And you overcome all that. So that is, and then you're, and then going to the club, going to L.A. And I'm like, I'm finna go to the comedy store. And they was like, oh, they don't book black people up there. What the fuck you going to the comedy store for? They racist up there. And I was like, shit, I'm from the South. I could deal with racism. I know how to maneuver through racism. That's my, that's my landscape. And then actually getting it. Hmm. And it wasn't even easy. I didn't get past how everybody else get pa- got past. So, you know, and, but Mitzi saw, saw me before she died. Yeah. And she was like, just don't pass him yet. Just send him up here. But she saw it. And she's like, I don't understand what the fuck he's saying. But the crowd, he's engaging the crowd. They like him. And just based on those merits, she knew something was there. And... Movies was just wasn't even in my wasn't on my goal list at the time for start playing goals. But I do know one thing about the comedy store. They said they don't even pass nobody unless they think they got potential to be a movie star. Cause the improv and all those other clubs are for all the writers and other TV comics. But the comedy store is Robin Williams, uh Richard Pryor, uh uh Sam Keniston. It's like all the big boys come out of that, that club. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, you know what I mean? So that's why it's like that, you know what I mean? When I see it, I'm like, damn. Because the rest of this stuff now is like compound interest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's why I try to stick to the comedy roots because it got me here. But if it don't serve me no more, a lot of who I was is starting out to serve me no more. So I got to see who I got to become now, which is very scary to get to that next level because a part of me don't want to lose, afraid to lose who I am. But a part of who I am is not going to serve me in none of the vision of where I'm at. That's a fantastic way to wrap up. Thank you, everybody. Please join me in thanking Byron Bowers. 
So that was Byron. Really, really fascinating. What an what a fascinating man, and really candid. Really unafraid to get into the the sort of depths of it all. Um, he's had a tough old life, as you can hear. Um, and uh, it's really interesting when he says well, he's talking about his goals, talking about ultimate power. Whereas the goal is to be free, creative, and understood. The goal is to be free, to be creative and to be understood. And that is a goal to which we can all aspire. But I love hearing it laid out like that, particularly with someone who's, you know, doing big movies and stuff, just to to remember that the thing that earths him, really, those three strong women in his life, and and that the goal is is to be free, creative, and understood. So that is a lovely thought to go forwards. Now, thanks to Byron for coming on the show. Thanks, Charlie Sotelo at South by Southwest and uh, Christy and um, uh, Kyra. What was the guy's name who taped this? He had an incredibly cool American name. Where is it? Kylan. Thank you to Kylan for taping that show for me uh, and all of the South by people as well. Thank you to Nathan uh, for uploading, producing the show. Uh, Jake Crossland for the logging. Uh, Peter Dobbing is your podcast consultant afresh because he came with me to South by and did some excellent podcast consultancy. Um, And as ever, uh, this episode is brought to you by the Foundation for Keeping Brett Goldstein. uh, Creative, unafraid and free. Speak to you soon. So what I'm going to do post-ambulally, because we've got this one and then we've got Eddie Pepitone next week, then uh, the 10th birthday celebrations. Hold fire. Hold on to keep your powder dry, even though it's technically happened already. Um... Uh, and then Dulce after that, which all of them are great. All of them are great episodes in their different ways. And after my mithering around in the early part of this year going, oh, 10 years, should I keep going? What should I do? Is, 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 does it make sense to do 10 more years of this? I mean, the answer is basically yes, because all of the ones I've done recently have been brilliant. So that's put me in a very perky mood. And we've got more fun people coming up too. Um, however... What I thought I'd do at the end of these South by Ones is sort of pick an exciting thing. Um, I had such a wonderful time there, so I will pick one thing at a time from some of the things I learned about from a rough handful of NFTs, DAO, Web3, uh, VR, uh, and augmented reality, a little bit of augmented reality this year. So I thought I'd sort of pick one per thing and tell you about a thing I did, which is just, it's such an extraordinary festival. I feel like, I feel like it's spending a week 10 years into the future or 15 years into the future and you just sort of see what's coming. So let's talk about um, let's talk about VR. I, I don't know if you've got a, an Oculus or whatever they're called now, a Meta Quest 2, I think. it's um, and, and listen, if you're an expert in these things and you know all about them, then please forgive my very... Uh, it, I mean, <laughs> my ill-informed but enthusiastic... What is this podcast if not an opportunity for me to be largely ill-informed and very... No, bollocks. I'm going to back myself. Ten years in, I am informed on this podcast now, but um, I'm relying there on an earlier trope of self-deprecation, which I tried to stamp out a few years ago because it became clear I'd told millions and millions of people all around the world um, that I wasn't good at comedy. But I was always saying that from the perspective of knowing that I am, and I was just trying to relax my guests about it. I was being sort of self-deprecating about it in a wry way. And then it was pointed out to me that a lot of people didn't get that. And I was just, (laughs) if I say in an interview with someone, God, this is the thing that really makes me feel like I'm a failure. I might accidentally have been broadcasting the message that I felt like I was a failure to everyone. Let's put that further from our minds. Um, 
here's some experiences I had in VR. I'll just tell you what I did. There was a, a thing I saw. I don't even know what to call it. I mean, it was a document. No, it wasn't a documentary. It was an, it was a VR. It was an immersive VR experience. You put your headset on and you wander around the place holding the things that come with it, the um, controllers, I guess you would say, but aren't they whizzy and circular and futuristic? And then it was a piece, this particular piece was called Goliath. It was narrated by Tilda Swinton and um, it was an investigation into mental health, into the mind of a schizophrenic person. So it was kind of a documentary, but you were right there in it and this guy's talking to you and it's all kind of binaural and there's this, this sort of the impression of space and depth. When I'm watching a movie with friends, we're all watching it together. And if you've ever gone, if you've been lucky enough uh, on your stand-up odyssey or in any other context, you've been lucky enough to go to the cinema on your own and feel unafraid and unashamed to go to the cinema on your own, which I love doing, you'll recognise that you enjoy the film more and become more immersed in it because you're not concerned even peripherally about the thoughts of people around you. You don't look to your friend for sort of social help. I like that bit. Did you like that bit? Nothing like that. This is like that magnified by a bajillion. It's all happening for you and at you and you are in it and you turn around and you're right in it. Obviously, I'm just describing what VR is. But at the same time, I'm, I've am i tried little bits of it before. I've played old bits of computer games where I just come away feeling a bit seasick. Seeing a, an, a, a created immersive experience, it's the most immersed in something I think I've ever been. And to see this guy, it was the story of someone um, who they, they'd called Goliath for the, the show. I think that's a sort of online handle of his. And it was about how he had schizophrenia and what the experience was like of being in an institution. And you're seeing this all happen around you. But it, because the narrative is such that his um, his escape from it was the world of computer games, it's told through shapes and tropes of computer games. And, of you know, that lends itself to the VR environment really well. And just, it was just absolutely one of the most powerful things I've seen. And then I think before that, in fact, I'd seen something which I wish I could remember the title of. It's called something like um, uh, Nothing at All Happened Every Day for the Rest of Our Lives or something like that. I'll try and look it up. And it's about the experience that Hawaii had in 2018 when everyone on an island in Hawaii um, received a text um, saying that there was a, a ballistic missile on the way in and they should seek cover. And of course, I remember that story, but I don't remember it being the news of any more than kind of passing. Oh, God, that must have been horrible. This brilliant piece of documentary VR filmmaking put you right in the middle of it. And again, it's not it's not really ever that it's trying to be photorealistic and failing. It's more that they are using, like you're in the water looking at the island and then someone rows the canoe towards you and they're a kind of computer-generated version of themselves, but it's done in such a way that they are shadowy and symbolic rather than an attempt to make something photorealistic like you're in a film. And they just get, you know, that this person, I think at that moment, it was the end of the first chapter and they decided that if a bomb was going to come, they'd want to be on the water. So they canoed out into the water. This incredibly powerful, affecting, like, obviously, I, I've sat and watched documentaries about horrible things that have done in very compassionate and, and um, expressive ways and had a big reaction to them. But this was just another level in terms of immersion and uh, impact. So... You heard it here first, guys. I think VR is going to be quite successful. <laughs> um, look, obviously that's trite, but I, 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 I very like three days I was there for, uh, over the week, three different mornings I woke up and thought, should I just go and buy it? Should I go and buy the gear? I don't know if I can justify it yet. So maybe I'll hang on for five years and wait till all the stuff gets even better. But um, 
uh, it was really, really moving and affecting. So if you are a VR person, oh, that reminds me of something else. Do I want to announce that? No. Do you remember me talking about, um, do you remember me talking about a reef, a coral reef idea for a ComCom event? Did I talk about that at the time? This is, I mean, it's unfindable if I did without listening to every episode, but I have revisited that idea and I am revisiting that idea and, oh, this is useless. I can't, there's nothing to announce yet, but basically I had a really interesting and invigorating conversation this morning and I've come back from South by, as I always do, kind of full of ideas and questions and the desire to wonder about stuff. Here's a thing I can tell you. I've been having a chat with uh, listener and pal VJ Barker, who has been, uh, they they got in touch with me because I mentioned ecosystems and they are doing research and uh, PhD on ecosystems. And we've been having a couple of really interesting Zoom chats. And in one that we had this morning, I came to a, a conclusion about, I'm off the point of VR now, there are tangible, tangential links, they're not tangible at all, um, but this might be worth pursuing for two minutes and I'll let you get on with your day, um, or back to sleep on a plane, hopefully not in the bath, whatever it is you're doing. Um, and uh, we were talking about the difference between ecosystems and networks and what those differences were. When I managed to articulate to myself, and hopefully to you in a moment, um, something about the seductive power of gigs and going out, how it's kind of, it's it's hard work to go out, get in a car or get on a train and travel, go to a gig, unknown circumstances, unknown conditions, work to be done. You know, that's, that's, that's tough, but we do it once you're up and running because, in part, because it feels heroic. So there is a financial component. You need to make your mortgage payments, your rent payments, whatever. Um, so there is a financial impetus and there's an artistic, there's a creative impetus. This is the place where I can be on stage and work it out. But there is also this kind of background structure, which is that it will feel heroic to do so. And it will it will feed the beast, the little beast in you that says we must be heroic, otherwise we're stagnating. Yeah, just me. Not just me, surely. So it feels heroic. And as a result, and I talked about this a little bit before, you might have heard me on the podcast ages and ages ago talking about that feeling of being the DJ at the party. When you're the DJ at the party, you can turn up and go to the party in air quotes. They're called inverted commas, Stuart, for goodness sake. Um, you can turn up and go to the party, but without having to really risk anything. Like if you go to a party and you're not the DJ, you're just a person going to the party. You have to you have to have the experience of risk, don't you? You have to go. Oh, I'm standing with my back against the wall, and I will I know anyone? When you're the DJ at the party, you just turn up and do your gig, and you feel like you've been at a party, and you have, but you haven't been as much at a party as the people who turned up without being the DJ. Clear? Well, in a similar sort of a, I'm just going to assume it's clear and move on. In a similar sort of a way. Going out and gigging and being on the circuit allows you to feed the beast, if you will. It allows you to maintain, I'm going out and doing some passionate and extraordinary and it's great. Forget the money, forget the creativity for a moment. It allows you to go out and do that. Whereas actually, it like the DJ thing, it, it kind of, it serves you in some ways and then in other ways you miss out on something. And so even though at the moment I'm not in a sort of deep, busy gigging phase, there's one gearing up in a month or two, but um, I've been sort of feeling like, oh God, have I quit? Have I accidentally, have I by default left stand-up comedy? Of course not. It's just that I'm used to this kind of really, really busy hammering rhythm, arrested entirely by the pandemic, elements of the sort of home homeworking thing were pretty attractive. And as I gear back up towards it, I'm only realising now, oh yes, the 
so there's two things. There's going out and gigging and doing it. That is good. But it it kind of also lets you off the hook from staying at home and ruminating. That has a value as well. Not ruminating, daydreaming. That has a value as well. I don't do as much daydreaming. I don't do as much bigger picture, what will happen in the world. Let's take a deep breath and actually learn and grow and mull and muse and consider. Because I I know those things are hard to do because you have to sort of, well, they're hard for me to do because they don't feel like work. But they are work and they turn into some of the most extraordinary and exciting projects and work and what have you. It's easier just to turn up and punch the clock. And I think I have maybe at times in my life I've over optimized for turning up and punching the clock get the hours behind the wheel get the get the you know hours in the air just kind of build up that bank of stuff and i think the process i've been undergoing over the last couple of months of slightly more kind of wrist on head oh what now what now that stuff is me sort of recognizing that just getting the road hours i've got so many road hours now does it make more sense to optimize for road hours does it make more sense sometimes now to to stop take a deep breath and go road hours are seductive but actually and daydreaming hours don't feel like real hours so they're the opposite of seductive they're repellent in some ways but actually it would be smarter and worth more to i've said optimize for just prefer just do instead is what i mean just to um to spend a bit of time breathing rather than cracking on and yes there's the short-term benefits to cracking on you feel like you're doing it you're knackered after the workout that kind of thing it's like if you if you if you train for something part of the process is the rest rest periods but presumably when you're having a rest period you just you know you you berate yourself for not training harder but you have to do the rest stuff too even though there are no immediate benefits you have to all right so that yeah, good. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.